You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Happy Father's Day to you fathers. You are so valuable. Uh, You are so important uh, to your kids, to your wives, to the community, to the church. And so never, even if society says you're not important, remember your, your position is so important. Even if your kids are grown up, you have such an important part of their lives. So thank you for being fathers. My name is Benjamin. If you're here visiting, I'm just one of the many people here at Calvary who serves God the best that they can. And Calvary is such a wonderful place because it's full of a bunch of uh, people who are full of the Holy Spirit and who love Jesus. And, and I'm just so privileged to be here. You can turn in your Bibles uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. That's page 267 in the Pew Bible, the Church Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that Bible as our gift to you. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Funny enough, when we did our three-month series on the life of David, we never actually looked at this chapter, so God had saved it for this time. Page 267, let's read it together. When the king had settled into his place, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all you have in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, I have, have I ever spoken the word to the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, asking them, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like the greatest on the earth, and I will designate a place for my people Israel on, and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Ever since the day I ordered the judges to be over the people of Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you one of your descendants who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build the house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let's pray. 
And God, as Steph so well showed us uh, from the before the foundations in the beginning of the earth, uh, you had uh, determined the way it would be. There is nothing past you. Uh, there is nothing that surprises you. Everything you know. And so we take confidence in that. Lord, looking back almost 3,000 years ago, we see that you had determined some things. Help us to have confidence that you've determined some things in our lives and that nothing is going to surprise you. Help us to see the great hope in that, to have confidence in you. Lord, uh, help me a simple man uh, who has had the pleasure of serving you uh, to talk about this. Lord, help my voice to hold out as I'm still trying to get over this cold. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we don't need to go into too much depth about the life of David because we looked at that. Um, it was quite the life, uh, a life of uh, obscurity into a life of success and fame. And, and isn't it true that we know his name, even unbelievers, uh, even uh, people, Muslims and Hindus, they've heard the name of David before. It's a famous name. And I think so much as I really took an in-depth look at David's life um, and studying for this series that we did over the last year, um, really so much of what was successful in David's life was because he sought just to do what was right. He really came to God often in his life, more than any other king we see asking God, should I do this? Should I not do this? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? He did this often. When the Philistines had uh, surrounded uh, the city of, or the town of Caeth, uh, he went to God and he said in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1, therefore uh, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Like they outnumber us, they're far superior to us. And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save the city. Uh, another time of many in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8, uh, David's family and, and all his troops' families had been taken. They'd been raided uh, while they were away in a place called Ziklag. And the people are going to stone him. They're actually going to turn on him because they've lost their children and their wives. And, and it's just the worst day of David's leadership up to that period. And he goes in front of God humbly. And he says, uh, Lord... Should I pursue the raiders? Will I be able to overtake them? The Lord replied to him, pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue your people. This seemed to be the pattern of David's life. He would go to God seeking advice. He wanted to, to generally do what was right. And we definitely saw later in his life when he didn't go to God seeking advice, that's where the messes happened. That's where he made the big mistakes. And, you know, that's a, a good thing for us to go to our lives and really examine our lives. Do we actually go to God when we make decisions? Where we're going to go, how we're going to spend our money, who we're going to have relationships with, what we're going to do for a living. Do we actually go to God? Is that the pattern of our life? And people often ask me, how do you know if God wants you to make a decision? And Sometimes, occasionally, maybe like half a dozen times in my life, I've, I've heard the Holy Spirit say, go and do that. 
But most of the time, it's due to, through discernment. Uh, you go to his word, first of all, and you see, is there any clear direction in God's word about making this decision? Uh, say if, if you're going to buy a house and it's like, well, I have to be in debt for, for three quarters of the house and, and, and it's really way over my head and I'm going to spend uh, like 60% of my income on it. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear. The debtor is a slave to the lender. So it's probably not a good decision to make. There's clear things sometimes. But the Bible also says that counsel, wise counsel is always what a person does if they, if they want to do well in their life. Go to people who don't just speak the Bible, but who live the Bible and, and inquire of them. And the third is that you seek God in prayer. And eventually God gives you peace for a decision. He either keeps your heart uh, kind of stirred up and gives you this uneasy feeling, or eventually he gives you peace. That's what David often did, and that's what you should do. And as I look back on my life, I I can see um, many times where God said yes to me. When I was leaving the army, and I, and I started, I'd been saved for a couple of years, and I'm like, ah, I really feel God is calling me out of the army. And, but I don't have a high school diploma, and I'm raising two kids on my own. Uh, what, how do I do that? And, but yet I had this, this, this uneasiness, this feeling that I wasn't supposed to stay in the army. And, and so I, I did what uh, I had been told to do. I went and asked three wise guys who lived it in their life, and all independently, they didn't know that I had asked each, each of them. And, and I said to them, I want you to go away and pray for weeks, uh, however long it takes, and, and this is what I'm feeling. Do you think it's what God is asking me to do? And each of them came back after a while and said, yes, we believe God is calling you to leave the army and go and serve him. Not really knowing what that meant yet. When I came to Calvary, so interesting uh, story. So Rebecca and I are newly married. Uh, Levi's just come on and I've graduated uh, from school. And I think I know where I'm going. So I've applied to uh, uh, three or so churches. um, And so I've got... Um, I had heard, got an email back from Calvary in late March, and, and oh, somebody will get a hold of you. And nobody ever got a hold of me. So I thought, well, they just don't, they're not interested. It's not what God wants. And, and so I moved forward in the candidate process with two other churches. Uh, one I really thought I was going to go to up in Ottawa Valley, and one in Alberta. And, and so I go and preach at Ottawa Valley, and, and it goes great. And, um, and then I get a uh, call from that church saying, we want you to come back, and, and this is where we want to work out. We want to offer you the job, and, and we want you to preach one more time. And then, then right before I'm to go there, like the week before, I get a call from Len, uh, the head of the search committee, Len, our elder, and, and he says, we're in his, in his strong poker uh, voice, we're conducting interviews <clears throat> we'd like you to come. Because he didn't let me know he's a soft, uh, kind guy that he is. Now, we'd like you to come and have an interview. Uh, we're doing them on Monday evenings. So <clears throat> so I'm preaching on Sunday in Ottawa Valley, so I'm like, whatever, okay, um, God, I'll, I'll do this just because I want to make sure that this is the right place. I'll have this interview. Um, and so I stayed in Huntsville on Sunday night and then came for the interview on Monday. And and. <clears throat> And I came in and, and did the interview right up here. Uh, there was like, there was pews there. So we, we had some chairs there. And after my piece about where I was supposed to go was completely gone. 
And the, the whole way home, I just wrestled with God. God, I feel like you're calling me to this place, but I don't want to come to this place. I want to go out in the middle of the woods in Ottawa Valley and, and hide out there. And, but God, I can't get rid of this. And, and so I wrestled with God for the week, Rebecca and I did, and then, and then we said, okay, God, we're going to go and pray at, um, at each of the places, um, and then you've got to show us where to be. And we went and prayed up there, and we prayed about the other place, and, and then we came in this area. I didn't tell anyone, and we prayed for a day, and God, by the morning, gave us complete peace that this is where we were supposed to be. He said yes. I even see that when we, when we hired Pastor Mark. This is like a year into me being here. And, and there's uh, Christine's uh, family was here. Uh, Ashley and Rogan were here. Uh, there was, I think, one other family here. And the, there was no other families. And the Laroques had come. That was the other family. And so we put them to work right away because um, we scooped up this young family in here. Get to work. But no other families would come. And so we're like, oh, God, we've got to get another pastor in here who's younger and can speak to these younger families. And, and so we've got to hire another family to get another family to come to the church. And so, but God, we don't have the money, God, but I feel like this is what you're wanting us to do. And so we prayed, and, and is this what I should do? And I pitched it to some people, and, and some people right away came up and said, this is what we should do. We're behind it. We'll provide the funding. God showed us. There's those times in our life where God clearly shows us, and God says, Yes. But then there's sometimes that God says no. God says it's not for you. Everything in this situation where we read about David wanting to build the temple seems right. Right? He wants to build a temple to honor God. That's great. That's wonderful. He seems like the one to do it. Nobody's ever done it. Why not do it? You think it's what God would want, really, in, in thinking about who David was. He was the man after God's own heart. Why would God want to wait another 40 years to have the temple? But like in our minds, it doesn't make sense. Right away is what we want. David's got the money. He's got the manpower. He's got the loyalty. It all seems to make sense. And then David tells God, more in this case, this is what I'm going to do, God, because he's so convinced in his own mind that this is the right way to go. And God says, you're not the one. Why? Well, we read about it in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for me, for my name, because you are a man of war and a man who has shed blood. Christians, sometimes something can make so much sense in our minds, and yet God will tell us no. And sometimes he won't give us an explanation as to why no until later. God had brought David along to do some specific things. Well, one is he united the kingdom. And really Israel for its, its first time since it had come in under Joshua was united to defeat the enemies that had harassed the Israelites through the times of the judges. David conquers them. He, he brought the ark back and, and planted it in Jerusalem, a city which he had captured. And the ark became the center of worship again after it had been forgotten about for many times. He built a strong government. He built the mighty men of God. 
Sometimes God has certain things for certain leaders. I think of John Wycliffe. He's a, he's a guy that most uh, people don't know about. They've maybe heard his name. They also think of Martin Luther. That's what us Protestants think of. But John, uh, John uh, Wycliffe was alive about 120 years before Martin Luther in the 14th century. And he was actually the one, one of the first ones to start to push against the Roman Catholic Church and, and point out that, that salvation is through faith in Christ alone and, and that the Bible should be for everyone to read on their own. That's the way God designed it. And, and he was actually one of the ones who paved the way and started to rattle the chains and break down the Roman Catholic's power so that Martin Luther could come in later and really bring them out of that. You know, God brought me here for certain things. I can really see that now. For a certain time, for certain reasons. God brought me here to walk alongside of you to heal from hurts that you guys were in. For those of you who were here eight years ago. And he brought me here to, to help uh, bring in other leaders who wanted to honor God. And now we have strong leadership teams on all three teams. He brought me here to help you see that the Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient for life and faith. We don't need human ingenuity. We don't need fanciness. God's word is sufficient. It's inerrant. It's perfect the way it is. God brought me here to, to help you become a multi-generational church, which is still the best model. Uh, experienced Christians, older Christians, uh, we need them. They're the mature ones, they're the stable ones, they're the ones that, that say, okay, let's think about this. They have, they've like walked through years and decades with God. We need churches with senior Christians, but we also need churches with younger people because younger people have the passion. They'll take the risks that sometimes the olders won't. And the best model, God's model, is a multi-generational church. And as you look around now, you see that. We have that. That's what God wants. And you know, when we started to look at building a new church in 2018, you asked Rebecca and I in 2019, are, are we going to see this church have a new church building? We would have said, yeah, for sure. We were as excited as David was. God said, you're not the one. You know, the older I get now that I'm ancient at 43, <laughs> I really see the truth in what Proverbs 16, verse 9, and so many other verses say. A person's heart plans his way. Isn't that so true? My heart feels. But God determines his steps. We, we have all these dreams and hopes and plans in our heart, and we are so emotionally driven so often, but God lays out the steps we're really going to take. Does that succeed? Does it not? He has another path for us. He's the God. We're not gods. We're just people. And so the question we have to wrestle with, and, I, and I've, I've left you space in your bulletins to write these things down because I really want you to wrestle with them, is, is how do you respond? How will you respond? How are you responding when God says, that's not for you? When you, when you want a, a certain job and, and you're so convinced that this job is for me and God says, that's not for you. I want you somewhere else. I want you in a place. Maybe it doesn't pay as well. And maybe it's not everything you dreamed of, but I want you here for now for a reason. 
When you say to God, I want to marry a certain person, that's the person I want to marry. God says, it's not for you. You may not see it, but I know that that person is not for you. When you're asking God to heal you from something, something you're going through, and, and, and you've seen God heal other people, and so why not heal you? And God says, healing's not for you right now. Because I want you to see that my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. How do you respond when God says, that's not for you? See, we, we seem to, we as, as Canadians, we, we tend to look at life moment to moment. We have that perspective that, that life is just a bunch of decisions that we make. And, and really what matters is the moment, not the future. We don't see the overall picture that God sees, but God sees the beginning and the end. And he's got this narrative that he's writing, and we get to be a part of it. And sometimes that's very difficult for us to accept, isn't it? If we're honest, we don't have all the answers. We don't get them in our time. It must have been hard for Abraham and Sarah, if you think about it. They've got a good life in their home, town, and God says, I'm calling you away, Abraham. Take your wife, take your family, and go far from here to a place you don't even know. I'm sure, Sarah, ladies, can you imagine what Sarah would have been like? You don't even know where we're going? Come on. And, and I'm going to give you a kid. He's going to give us a kid. Do you know how old we are? And yet, he walked with faith, and, and the baby didn't come probably to their time frame that they were thinking. And, and it gets to a point where Sarah even laughs when she hears the, the angels say that God is going to give her a baby. Pah! I've heard that before. And yet, God was faithful. And in our lives, we're going to have things that we're so convinced are to happen and to be. And God is going to say, no. And then that's where our faith is really tested. Will we still follow God when he says no? When our, our life works out a little bit different than we had hoped and dreamed for. God didn't bring me here because I'm special. And we all need to understand that. God brought me here for a certain time because of what some people here were doing at Calvary before I was even here, there was a group, a remnant of people who, who wanted Calvary to be a place that honored Christ among above men, that honored his word, a place where, where sinners could come and receive healing, a, a place where all the generations could come together, where their children and their grandchildren could come and worship God together. That is why he sent me here for a time, because of those faithful remnant that were here at Calvary. When things weren't good, when nobody wanted to come, they were still here believing that God had something more for Calvary. Sometimes uh, he brings in hammers, people that are like hammers, to break up the old and to lay down a, a foundation and a frame. David was a hammer. He, he broke up some old things. He got rid of the enemies. He, he built a, a foundation and a, and a frame, but he wasn't a finisher. And God knew that there was somebody else 
who's going to come along, like the, the fine finisher that does the detailed work. That was Solomon. And Solomon was great for the first half of his life. We often think of the second half. The first half, he did really well. It was the second half where things got out of control. God uses different people for different times. Moses, uh, he was, he was kind of like the finisher, and Joshua was the hammer. And Moses really wanted to go into the promised land. We got to understand that we think like Moses, just like, okay, cool, it's time to die. No, he actually wanted to go into the promised land. He wanted to keep going. But God told him no. Deuteronomy, 20, or Deuteronomy 3, verse 25, he says, God, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan that good hill country of Lebanon. Come on, God, I've done all this hard work. 40 years in the wilderness with these stubborn people. I want to have some good times. God says, you're not the one. Then in Numbers 27, he, he says, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership and lay your hands on him. That, that, that might have been a humbling experience for Moses. Hey, Moses, You've served me, but now this guy, he's got the spirit of leadership in him. Lay your hands on him. He's the one to take them into the next phase. And yet Moses is remembered because he was obedient. Because his desire to do what was right outweighed his desire to do what he wanted to do. And I'm sure there were people that said, well, Joshua can't do it. Moses is the only one. We've been following him for how long? But it proves to us that it isn't the man or the woman that is great. It's whether the man or the woman honors God first in their life. That's the thing that makes the church and God's plans bring fruit. And Joshua did great. Joshua was a different guy than Moses, but he did wonderful because he loved and feared the Lord the same as Moses did. And God brought me here to Calvary. And you know, by... A year into COVID, we were just like booming and we were stable and we were united and, and, and funds kept coming in and new people kept coming in. And, and you know, I really thought, uh, I can't believe what God is doing. Like I was telling the elders, I, this morning I went down to the place that I sat first down at Gull Lake uh, where the drug addicts, and, and you hear the story, I don't have time, but when I came here for the interview, <clears throat> I was like, I'm not staying at this place. There was drug addicts in the water, uh, just wigged out on stuff. And there was just uh, this woman just crying, um, sitting on the steps. And she, and she just un, like beside herself, uh, there was just crazy stuff going on. And, and, and I went down there to reflect on what God had brought me in. And God is so great because God had a plan. And here we are, and the church is healthy. And since then, four churches in, in Gravenhurst have closed. Why aren't we one of the churches that have closed? Because the people honored God above man. And so I thought, well, wow, God is doing something supernatural here, and, and I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. But I really started to take a look around at my family and all they had given about a year and a half ago. And I looked at all it would take to lead Calvary through the next five to 10 years. And I really wrestled with God. I, I, I don't see my family having uh, what it needs, what we need as a family 
to lead this church through the next five to 10 years. And so I said, God, I started the discerning process, convinced that God was gonna give me what I wanted. And my wife too, we both thought, give us a fresh capacity, uh, get, uh, show us a building, a place. We were de- you never would have thought it'd be so hard to buy a building in this town. But God seems to have made it nearly impossible to buy a building. Hey, we've got the money, we wanna buy a building. Nope, God seemed to keep closing the door. And in our discerning process, God kept saying, you're not the one. That's what I realize. And these are the parts of life that we don't understand. But again, we come back to the word of God. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, where God clearly says, for your thoughts are not, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. There's what we want, what we think, and then the truth. And God's ways are so much bigger and so much better than our ways, even when we don't necessarily think they are. And so God says no sometimes. And we have to say, what are we gonna do? Curse God? Fine, I'm not following you, God. Are we going to try and force the issue? I've been trying to force the issue with God the last six months until I finally came to that place where I knew what God was calling me to do. And God's so much greater than us. He sees what we can handle. Uh, My second favorite prophet is the prophet Elijah. My first favorite is Jeremiah, Elijah with a J, And, you know, look at him. He was just a ferocious man. He was a hammer. He came in and faced King Ahab, and and, and the guy would say things that most of us would never have the courage to say. And he led them through the the famine and through the drought, and and he, he slayed the 450 prophets of Baal. And then it just seemed like he was done. And it kind of can seem like a sad situation when you read 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 on. Now Ahab told Jezebel, that's the king, told the queen, everything that Elijah had done and how he'd killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not take Make your life like those of the life you killed. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself traveled on the day's journey into the wilderness, and he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my fathers. A man with so much success, and yet he feels like a complete failure. And sometimes we can get in over our heads, can't we? We can think, we can handle stuff, but God knows perfectly what we can handle. And he goes seeking direction, and he gets direction. Maybe he went seeking a a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. But God told him, no, you're done. You're done. Go and anoint Elijah 
S-H-A, for he's going to be the new prophet. Uh, but he still had so much more for Elijah because Elijah gets to be one of the only two people that doesn't die the natural way. God just takes him out in, in this fiery glory. But then he brings in a new guy who's very different, but loves God as well. God saw that Elijah didn't have what, it was, what was needed to lead as a prophet. And so he took care of him and he took care of the Israelites as well. And he brought someone new in. That's what God does. He doesn't leave us where we are. When God says no to one thing, it means he has a different plan. And we have to have confidence that he is who he says he is. And you know, I look at David's life. Uh, there's one uh, verse, Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 uh, from our main text that caught my attention as I was studying this. And I will give you rest from all your enemies, the Lord declares to you. The Lord himself will make you a house. I really thought about this. I will give you rest. David, you've done so much. Now I'm going to give you rest. I wonder what that rest was for. Ever think about that? I really started thinking about it. And I looked at the second half of David's life. And what was the great tragedy of David's second half of his life? It's when his family imploded before him. We all know that. That's the greatest tragedy of his whole life, is watching his sons and his daughters kill each other, rebel against him. Uh, imagine if David had taken that time and invested it in his family. Maybe something different could have happened in David's life. Maybe his sons wouldn't have all been full of lust as he was. Maybe he would have never stood on that rooftop and looked down because he was so preoccupied with himself and taken that woman that wasn't his wife. Maybe he could have sat with his sons and taught them and his daughters and taught them about God and really built a good relationship with them that he didn't seem to have. Maybe but he didn't. And you know, that's a message to us parents that sometimes our children don't need us to preach a sermon. They need us to live a sermon. And let that not be the story of our lives, parents who still have children under their care, that we give all our best attention to everything else while our family withers up and dies. And God reminded me about a month ago, a month and a bit ago, of the covenant that I had made before I made the covenant to be trained as a pastor. Uh, back in 2007, uh, when I, a few months after I'd become a Christian, and I was learning what it was to be a Christian and, and, and what God's design for sex and marriage was and, and how I had utterly failed at doing that before. And, and I made this covenant with God, God, I'm not going to be with another woman and I'm not going to be involved with any women until it's your woman for me. That's my covenant with you. I remember that very clearly in December. And so the years went by until I was finally met the woman who God had for me. And we were married almost seven years later after that point. That was two years before I had made a covenant with God that said I'm going to leave the army and serve you. And sometimes we can forget the first covenants we made with God, the promises we made with God, because those things are hard. 
and we can give ourselves to other things. There's a song that, that I've heard for a number of years. It's called The Kind of Man. And every time I hear it, it almost brings me to tears. It's a talking about the kind of man he wants to be. And he says, if I speak, the Father says, if I speak in the words like angels, or climb the highest peak, or fight for fame, or build my name so the world remembers me, it'll fade like stars in morning, a whisper in a crowd, It'll all dissolve to nothing if that's what my life's about. And I have had the privilege of seeing so many men, the elders of this church, who have shown me, I think of Dustin, who has really taught me that caring for your wife and children means denying what you want in order to give them what they need. And I'm so thankful for the men who have taught me that in this church. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, men and women, are, are we giving our best attention uh, to things that are not as important as the things that God says? Are we giving ourselves to things that are, uh, are third and fourth according to God when we should be giving ourselves to things that God says are more important? Is God saying no to you for a reason? Because he wants you to pay attention to something else. You've got to look at your life in that. You've got to figure out, this doesn't seem to be working out for me in my life. Is God trying to get my attention? A wise lady from this congregation stood up here three weeks ago, and, and she said, if God tells you to do something, that's Jan, you better do it. And you're right, Jan. We better do it. <coughs> Who are we? What is our identity really built around? Do we need to be famous? Men, we so often give ourselves to our jobs. Our careers become our identities. That's why so many men die after they give up their jobs because that was their identity. That was the reason for living. And women often, uh, they give themselves so fully to their family, to their children often nowadays, that when their children leave, they just fall apart. They don't know how to live because their children are gone. That was their identity. And God's been really putting it to me, Ben, who, who are you? If you strip everything away, who am I? What is my identity built off? What is the core of who I am? And, and as I've been wrestling with this leaving ministry, what am I gonna do? What does an ex-soldier pastor do? Well, there's been some helpful people who have given me suggestions. One of my children said, well, you can cut lawns. And you know what immediately popped in my mind? Forrest Gump. Remember when he left the fishing boats and he cut lawns for free? I don't think I cut them for free. Well, that could be Forrest Gump. <coughs> uh, and another uh, a program said, uh, I was, what do ex-soldiers do? They can become a bouncer. So I could uh, smash drunks' heads off the wall and then tell them about Jesus in the parking lot. Somebody else, I won't say who, said, well, you could be a candidate for the hair club for men. <laughs> yes, I know, my hair has receded significantly in eight years. I get it. But, but it really was put to me when I was sitting in Swiss Chalet with my wife the day before the letter went out, and, and, and the waitress, she came up, and, and my, my son, my older son, likes to tell me, that's where we always go for dinner, 
Uh, she, he tells me that I like to go there so that I'll feel young amongst all the seniors. <coughs> nice. Thanks, son. <coughs> but the waitress came over and she was apologizing because they don't have any employees. And, 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 and it just clicked in my head. Ben, could you be happy if this was who you were? If this was your identity now? You're not a pastor anymore. You're not a soldier. You're a waiter. If this is the best that you can do after you leave the ministry, will you be satisfied with just being a follower of Jesus Christ who's a waiter? I really have to ask myself. Because in the end, God doesn't care a hill of beans whether I'm a pastor or whether I'm a waiter. He cares whether I follow him. And that's what he cares about you. None of you are below or above anyone else. He cares only about do you love him? And are you putting your faith in him above everything else. In the end, that's all that really matters. And so sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I really want you to wrestle with the value that God places on you. Romans 5, 8 just boggles my mind. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My value is not based off whether I'm a pastor still, and that's my title, because God loved me before I was that. When I was a bum, when I was useless, when I was evil, filthy, God loved me enough. Therefore, that gives us confidence to move forward, knowing that it doesn't matter what the world says about us because God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What a great confidence we can have, ladies and gentlemen, as we struggle through life and fail at things, that God still loves you. He's not going to give up on you. Just keep seeking him. What is your identity built in, ladies and gentlemen? Is being a Christian enough for you? And so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And you know, in my wrestling over the last little while, I, I had the, uh, the, the audacity to say, but what will Calvary do without me? And it's almost like I heard the angels laughing in heaven. And, and I got ready uh, for God to appear like he did before, appear before Job in Job 38 to say, who is this that darkens the counsel by words without knowledge? Just for action like a man, for I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you must know, Ben. I need you to, as I close, just understand this church. God is going to look after Calvary. God has it in his hands. God doesn't need a man or a woman to look after his church. This church is going to do wonderful because this church holds up God's word. Because this church loves Christ more than people because this church has a plurality of uh, leaders who are humble and a membership who is here for the right reasons. This church is gonna do wonderful because you love God deeply, because it's got people like Paul Brackley who stand on security at the back, because it's got people like uh, Steph who love Jesus 
in lead worship. Got people like Joe Reedman on the back. It's got people like Christine Taylor pouring herself out to those children downstairs. It's got people like uh, Cameron on the deacon's board who, who serves quietly and humbly because he loves God. Like it, Calvary is gonna do wonderful because you love God and because of the kind of people that you are. And so my final question to you is how are you gonna be in Calvary's next phase, a part of making Calvary an even greater place, a place where people will hear that Jesus is alive, where they can come for healing, where they can come to be loved, where they can become and fed the truth. I want you to really think about that. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna close and I invite you to come up. The elders and I will be up here and we would love to pray for you. God, I just thank you so much that you are an eternal God, that long after my bones are dust, you will be there. God, you established Calvary here in 1884. And you are gonna establish it as long as you have decided. I pray that, that you would bless it, that it would be a beacon as it is for years and years to come. A beacon of truth, a beacon of love, a beacon of hope. One of your outposts in a dark world. I pray for the people that are here, God. You've called them here. If they've been called here, they're here for a reason. I pray you would help them to see that, that they would get excited that they're a part of the church. They are the church. And that you have great plans for them. Thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege of serving. It is a privilege. However long we're able to serve you, it's a privilege. And over those next couple of months as I transition out, Lord, I pray you would just help us to get excited about what's next and help us to love each other and to celebrate what you've done over the last eight years. For you are great and wonderful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.